The following is a condensed audio extract of our latest podcast episode on Facebook Live. To watch the episode in its entirety, find Supernatural Confessions and like us on Facebook. Player. Supernatural. Is anyone here? Confessions. Can you please give us a sign? Supernatural. Supernatural. Confessions. How you doing? And welcome to Supernatural Confessions. It's Timo, of course, joined once again by Eugene Tay. How you doing tonight, brother? What's up, everybody? Hello, Tim. So I thought since last week we were talking about uh, haunted stories, haunted hospitals, we should probably run through at least a couple of comments which we didn't manage to address on last week's show. Sure. Okay. Uh, and Glenn Lim said, over in Tan Tok Sing Hospital, one of the older blocks has an entity on the top floor and the nurses call it Mandy. Uh, the buzzer of the empty bed would go beeping even though no one is there. Some people might say it's a technical fault, but who knows? I don't believe in technical faults, bro. You know, we are in such a modern time and everything is all, you know, so high tech. Yeah, mm. we do get faults from time to time, but when it happens at a certain precarious time, yeah, uh, I don't think that's anything coincidental about it. Uh, and while we were talking about uh, haunted hospitals and the history as well, thank you to Thomas for telling us that during World War II, Japanese troops actually stormed Alexander Hospital on the pretext of being fired upon from the hospital. And when at that point, they massacred all the hospital staff, including a British officer on the operating table. And that could be maybe one of the reasons uh, why that place could be very heavy when it comes to supernatural activity. Yeah? Since you mentioned Alexandra Hospital, the yep. next story is confessed by our very own artist, Side uh, mm. Wilson. Something he wanted to share last week, but he didn't get a chance, but we managed to catch up with him. He gave us this story and I'll share it with you guys. This story was shared to me by a friend of mine. She is working, uh, presently working as a nurse. And uh, this experience took place while she was doing night shift at Alexandra Hospital. At that point of time, she was having a break and she decided to grab a drink at the vending machine, which was situated at the ground floor. As she was walking, she could see uh, among the trees an apparition or what it look what looks like a person standing uh, between the trees so she was trying to get a harder look at the same time she was thinking who could be standing at the tree at a time like this now she is a skeptic she's never seen any ghosts in her life she never experienced any supernatural encounters so to her she just she just tell herself it could be someone maybe uh, someone standing by the trees but what she described was the person or that thing was wearing all red it was wearing a flowing red uh, gown or dress and have and it has a long uh, rather thick hair so she, she proceeded to the vending machine bought her drink and as she was walking uh, back to the ward she could still see the same lady and was still standing between those trees. So curiosity got the best of her. She decided to take a closer look. She went near the tree and what she saw was terrifying. It has a face, but 
uh, it didn't have any jawline. There were no jawlines, there was nothing. It was just uh, half a face and uh, it was really, really hideous. It had eyes, piercing, evil-looking eyes. She, she immediately ran back to her ward. At the same time, she dropped her drink, ran to her ward and, and told the nurses what's going on and what she saw. Her colleagues, uh, one of them, told her that it, it is a uh, could be a red kuntilana, which is a more terrifying, uh, more evil, vengeful version of a kuntilana or a kuntilana. So if you come across the red one, you better run or better get away from there because it is bad news. And it was really bad news for her and it was really a lesson learned for her. And now she is a believer in the supernatural. How do you wow. find that story? <laughs> I can't believe that it took something like that to convince her or to believe in the supernatural. You know, some people are going to be skeptic to the very end. Nothing you can show them, nothing they can see they would ever believe. Uh, and some mm. people actually, you know, just one experience is all it takes to tip them to the other side. Yeah, that is uh, truly scary. Of course, he was talking about a Kuntilana and I enjoyed uh, hearing him talk about the, the differences because, I mean, to my understanding, and obviously um, everyone's going to have a different opinion or a different background when it comes to a lot of these uh, creatures, okay? Because ultimately it is folklore um, and everybody's got their own beliefs that different backgrounds as well. I was always uh, under the impression that the Kuntilana is just the Indonesian... Uh, version of the Pontiana. In fact, they're basically the same creature. But what Said actually said was the Kuntilana is actually a more vicious version of the Pontiana. Now, the Pontiana and the Kuntilana um, folklore has been so muddled up um, mm. over the centuries. Uh, it's it's a very very old mythology. Uh, harkens back to I think 1700. The first sighting of Pontiana was actually in the early 1700s. That's how yeah. long it was, right? And that's how the Pontiana. Uh, state came about the name mm. uh, and since and obviously there must be Pontiana sightings before that and also since this kind of story is passed down from mouth to mouth oral tradition you're going to get people who is going to see something close to a Pontiana and then giving it some more flavor so over time people decide to have that distinction a Kuntiana is different from the Pontiana and there's yeah. still a couple more Anas around but <laughs> all the other all the aversions actually points to a child or mm. a lady who died at childbirth. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's also the uh, Langsur as well, right? Somewhat related to the Pontiana. Some people say the Langsur is the mother who is killed during childbirth and that the Pontiana is actually the child, right? So yeah, multiple backgrounds. Um, at the end of the day, they're all very fascinating and we hope to be able to cover these things and a whole lot more in our upcoming episodes of, uh, you know, Supernatural Confessions. But of course, to you, our Supernatural Confessions fan, if you've heard of any other variations or different backgrounds we'd love for you to contribute tell us as well and of course we will share your take on this uh, on our show as well okay in the meantime speaking of Syed he did have one more to share with us right the story I'm about to share is uh, from a Facebook friend of mine she PM me her story and she told me specifically not to reveal her name so I'll just call her Jane now Jane was expecting her first child and it was on the fateful night where she was uh, about to go in labor that she had to spend the night 
at the hospital. Right? It's a local hospital. I shall not name the hospital. And um, this is what happened. It was uh, around midnight and she was trying to get some sleep and uh, somehow she felt a presence in her ward. Right? She shared her ward with uh, a few others and uh, at first she thought it was the nurse, one of the nurse coming in because she could see a silhouette or a shadow of a person coming into the ward. Now the ward was dimly lit and uh, as for Jane, she can't go without her glasses, which means uh, what she can see are blurry images. And um, as she saw the silhouette, it was moving slowly, slowly and uh, nearing her bed. And uh, once the figure moved in front of her bed, she could figure out or she could make out how it looks like. Jane described the figure as being a pregnant woman in a hospital gown or in a patient's gown and uh, the gown was uh, bloodied, it was uh, quite dirty and in one hand she was holding what looks like a piece of meat which eventually she found out it was a placenta and the figure had this sad looking face, a rather sad looking face so it was, by the time it went past the bed, she could see clearly. And the figure just moved, or should I say it glided, as she described, it glided or floated and uh, walked straight into the wall and disappeared. So uh, that was uh, the most terrifying, the creepiest thing that Jane has uh, had ever seen. And she did not uh, tell anyone at that point of time. She did not tell her husband. And eventually she shared with her husband. And the husband only said that it could be maybe uh, her mind was playing tricks on her. Especially it was, you know, in, in around midnight. She might be uh, hallucinating or somewhat. But as for Jane, she knew what she saw and it was real. A pregnant lady holding a placenta walking past her bed and through the wall. How was that one? Do you like do you guys wow. like that? <laughs> that was that was intense. Actually I'm wondering right if this uh, story that Sai just shared now obviously he didn't really want to go into detail. Um, he didn't mention which hospital it was, right? I am wondering whether it was Alexandra Hospital. And the reason why I say that is because he mentioned about this creature that was actually eating a lady's placenta, right? And last week, while we were covering stories, uh, stuff that I found on the internet as well, there was one particular story that also um, revolved around Alexandra Hospital, in, in which case one man, or at least a hospital staff, he walked past a disposal bin where they would throw all these placentas in and he saw this woman, right, like crouched over the side of the bin, uh, like this giant bird eating the placenta and then after that he flew away into the night. So I'm wondering whether or not it's this same hospital that has a history of what I can only suspect is a langsur, which uh, tends to target pregnant women. So now then this would be, you know, uh, some form of evidence then because um, you know you have a lot of stories revolving okay I wouldn't call it an evidence but some form of trends at least yep. where people identify seeing a, a, a very specific 
behavior from a creature in a low in a, in a very isolated place so a lot of people who are thinking you know old changi hospital is a scary ones or you know tan tok Seng or you know sgh it's all the old names but little do people know that actually alexandra is the one that has a lot more history and they remain under the radar all these years mm. a lot of uh, people actually choose to go to alexandra hospital to actually give birth another one i think is, is kk hospital too, right? but you know that kk was built upon a uh, a graveyard the entire site was built upon a cemetery really tell us more yeah so uh i did a, i did a bit of research uh, i was one, one of those days where um i was just you know trying to figure things out, find new stories. Mm. And I was looking around at the cemetery spots in Singapore. The, yeah. old, the old Singapore map, all the cemetery spots. And you'd be very surprised because in Singapore, a lot of the new new estates, like, you know, estates being built in the last maybe 30 years, they were all cemetery before. Orchard mm. Road, the entire Orchard Road area, mm. the Takashimaya, the Lido area, all that was a stretch of cemetery. Wow. Yeah, right? Okay, uh, okay. Uh, uh, we have Ultram Bedok Reservoir, Pasiris, uh, Sembawang, Yishun Woodlands, a lot of cemetery areas. Uh, Bukit Timah area as well, mm. uh, Six Avenue, also cemetery. Now, the, the exact plot of land where KK, or rather the land behind KK. Mm. Um, this is it, where there was a giant pond, right? Giant with pond. A hanging tree with the hanging roots and all that. Yes. Yeah. That entire area, the hanging tree, hanging roots, that's uh, Halifax Road. Oh. And it's one of the dirtiest places in Singapore. Like mm. many cab, cab drivers would just drive there, park their cab uh, to take a nap because it's really, you know, nice and cooling. They can just wind down the window. Uh, but a lot of cab drivers, um, they say that they have seen things, felt things, heard things jumping on their cab. My brother, who was serving his uh, national service at the police force at the Tanglin police station right behind that place, he has his own set of stories as well so perhaps one day when we get down to police or NS stories we might share that but the entire area including the police station and KK it's a cemetery patch wow yeah okay. like right on it mm. well that's not to say that all places that were built upon cemeteries are haunted or are very active when it comes to the paranormal because if that was the case and most of Singapore was built along cemeteries then you know there'd be hantus everywhere maybe that's why there's a lot of ghost stories coming from Singapore alright so let's move along we do have plenty of stories that we're actually going to be sharing today we've been very very blessed to have uh, a few people actually call in but once again a reminder that if you have any stories at all please reach out to us on our website okay supernatural Confessions.com. There you'll find uh, all the details you need to know about us. There will be a form for you to submit your entries. And speaking of confessions that have actually come through our website, we did have one very interesting one from Andy. Okay, and I and I had a big smile on my face when I read Andy's uh, confession because, well, I'm a bit of a gamer. Okay, Eugene as well. Um, and this actually revolves around a game that I think not just all of us here in Singapore, but most people in the world were playing at one point. And it had to do with, check this out, Pokemon Go. Yes. And it ha happened way back in 2016 when Pokemon Go was a craze back then. I still remember it was August 6th when it was first launched. People would go to different locations around Singapore to catch different types of Pokemon. And that's where I had my few encounters playing the game. I was at East Coast Park near the National Sailing Center. I was playing together with my wife, aunt and uncle. It was around 11pm to 12 midnight. After we finished supper at Lagoon Food Village and on the phone, we saw that there was a rare Charizard around the sailing, sailing centre. 
So we split up in two groups, me and my wife, my aunt and my uncle. And when my wife and I were done, we decided to look for my aunt and uncle. We saw them about 400 meters in front of us and waving at us, standing beside a tree. So we walked towards them. Along the way to them, we were still catching some Pokemon. So we were looking at our phones. But when we looked back up, we couldn't see them. In our minds, we thought maybe they had walked even further ahead, but after a few minutes, we heard them calling us from behind. That's weird. They were so far ahead of us, and we definitely couldn't have walked so fast to reach them, much less take, overtake them. So we turned around and walked towards them and asked if they had waved at us earlier. They said no. They had always been behind, they had always been behind us. So who was that that we saw earlier? While we were discussing this, I looked up at a tree and saw a big black thing fly across and vanish, leaving behind a very sweet smell. Now, Andy says that just one of the few, that's just one of the few encounters he had while playing Pokemon Go. There was one other at Bishan Park and another one at Ishun. So what was it that he saw waving at him? And what was mm. that big black thing that swooped down and disappeared? Do you want to know? Do you really, really want to know? Because if you really, really want to know, then you can read the full entry on our website, supernaturalconfessions.com. <laughs> <laughs> After reading Andy's, uh, Andy's confession about uh, Pokemon Go, right? It reminded me of this story. Have you ever heard about the... Uh, the Haunted Nintendo? <laughs> no, no, I'm not joking, bro. This is a real thing. The Haunted Nintendo. I think it was an NES 64. Have you ever heard about it? Bro, I, you know, I always joke around that it must be the Hantu, but I mm. cannot take you seriously when you tell me that's a Haunted Nintendo, bro. Okay, all right. So so this is the story, okay? It's online. It was featured, okay, in, um, in actually many, many paranormal sites, okay? And this actually happened, I believe, in the US, okay? Where a man went online, he was trying to auction off his uh, Nintendo, right? His uh, Nintendo 64. Okay, he said he, he found it in an old shop and the shop owner had told him that some other guy had dropped it off saying that it had belonged to his son who had passed away. So, okay, this guy thinks, yeah, it's a good deal. I, I will buy this NES, right? Now, on the first night of playing, about 10 minutes into the game, he begins to hear sounds like voices mumbling in the background you know, of the game. That means you can hear the in the back. So he he's like, what is what is going on, right? So he thought maybe it's static because sometimes maybe your TV reception issues, uh, it's, it's picking up signals from somewhere else. So he would pause the game and then he would go closer to listen to it. But every time he would pause the game, the would stop, would completely stop. So then he would unpause the game and then the voices would come back, right? So it, to him, it sounded like a conversation, but he, he couldn't make out any of the words. And it happened many, many times after that first night as well. Now it gets weirder. On three separate occasions, the game would pause by itself. And this guy's finger was nowhere near the start button, okay? Because... As far as I know, the only way to pause a game is to press the start button, right? So he says his finger is not anywhere close to the start button. And then 
you know, uh, he would unpause it, but a little while later, it would pause again, right? So, he uh, he also said that the very weird thing was the timing of the pause. It always happened during an intense moment of the game, right? It was almost like something was trying to distract him so he would lose. So, could it be a game controller issue? He actually went out and he got himself different game controllers, but the same thing would happen, right? And it didn't just happen to him as well. Now, he would invite close family, friends uh, over, and some of them would actually witness some strange things happen as well. Like, you know when you select uh, player, player one, or two-player mode? He said the arrow would automatically move to second-player mode, two-player mode, sometimes while the controller wasn't in his hand. Okay, so the controller's down, he's booting up the game, it's just him and one player, two player, right? So it was almost as if something wanted to play the game with him, right? So that was uh, in the whole description. And according to the last article which I found, the, uh, the Haunted NES, if you are still interested, you can still buy it for just $72. I think we should buy it too. Let's buy it. Really? Yeah. You did mention that spirits and things like that can attach to themselves to just about anything. So why not a Nintendo 64? I, you know, I, there, there was a time for a very long while and I, even, even talking about this now makes me very uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, and I was with somebody, okay, uh, and we were both in front of a spiritual practitioner was helping out the person I'm talking about and I received on my phone because we were both in a room okay ding and she messaged me I will kill you but she's obviously in my line of sight not touching her phone her phone is beside her and I can receive that message from her and that's not the first time that's really like one of the, the countless times already but did, every- you, did you ever go to her phone to see whether it was in that Sent so, messages. So we did that, like on the spot. We did that, like compare, because obviously I got, I got spooked out, right? Mm. Compared phone, look at the send messages. Nothing on the side. It's all on mine. So that's odd. That means it couldn't have been sent from her phone because if it was sent from her phone, she would actually have some record either in the outbox or in her send messages folder, right? So what? Why I'm very reluctant to talk about this story and even to give it some grounds is. I cannot explain with any amount of experience or knowledge that I have mm. how a ghost can get into my phone and text me or yeah. you know you know what I mean like manipulate text like if you say that my phone battery drains out too fast or you know something that's static something appears on my phone I can still buy that but to receive a ghost text bro even telling you about it now I'm doubting myself but that was exactly what happened to me it's not something I share very easily yeah. so if we take that experience that I had and try to you know stretch it and take reference point to ghost um, you know controlling uh, electronic items and then all of a sudden that whole Nintendo story isn't all that far-fetched because if it can text you it can probably at least toggle things up and down and whisper to you yeah hey I got a question did you get charged for that SMS now? no I received free man Oh, okay. Because it would suck, man, if you got charged from an SMS what that didn't even fuck? get sent from her phone, right? Allow. <laughs> yeah. I guess that kind of takes us to a story with, with Pastor Leon, okay? So he's a pastor, a youth pastor at 
uh, St. Paul's Church. And he texted me and he said, Hey, I heard about your podcast. Uh, if you'd like, I can share some of the stories that I've encountered. And the first story that he wanted to share with us took him back a few years when he was on one particular mission trip. This was a mission trip by the church and we were going up to uh, Sarawak Kuching uh, to one of the longhouses there in a village uh, which was pretty far from Kuching. It would take us a six-hour drive um, and then followed by a two-hour riverboat ride uh, to the village. And the mission was to bring medication up to the villagers there and also to provide some spiritual counselling um, because these uh, villagers were under our purview. This is a group of people we adopted. And uh, it was during this time where, um, as the doctors were seeing to the some of the patients there, um, myself and some of the team members, we were doing some spiritual teaching, uh, biblical yeah. teaching and stuff like that. And as part of the whole teaching, there was uh, there was a segment of worship where we will sing songs, you know, and, 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 and fellowship. Suddenly, a few of the people who were present, as in the villagers, they began to manifest. Um, they started to convulge. Some were, were shrieking, screaming, and uh, you know, some of them dropped on the floor. Some of them were kneeling down. Uh, some of them were crying. It was like, I mean, if you didn't know what was going on, you think it was, you know, a pandemonium, hysteria, something crazy going on. Yeah. So do you, do you think this was a case where, I mean, we have seen these things for ourselves in, in churches where you're filled by the Holy Spirit and then yeah. you just react in a certain way? Yeah. Or do you think uh, these reactions you were seeing were basically demons in them that were basically convulsing and reacting to being in the presence of God? Um, I would actually uh, say yes, it was something uh, supernatural, something that was not of, of planet Earth. Uh, yeah. because they were behaving in very weird forms. Their faces contorted. It was not normal, not human in nature. Mm. Uh, and, the, and the high shriek and, and the amount of volume and chaos that was coming out from them didn't seem normal at all. Uh, and yeah. being in the field of, of uh, pastoral ministry uh, for, for many years, this is not something new to me. Um, right. Recognized it immediately. Mm. And um, the lot of, a lot of my partners there, um, <laughs> who the, the fellow ministers were with me, they also identified and they knew, you know, and there was no panic, uh, what we saw. Um, but what really um, built up our faith and our confidence was that none of us actually went to pray for these people. Um, it just happened like that as, uh, as the songs were being sung to God. Uh, mm. You know, in, in worship. So we knew that this is definitely not of any one of us doing it. It was something right. supernatural, something divine. Mm. And when I had a chance to speak to some of, uh, of the people who were experiencing it, um, they actually shared that they were dabbling with occultic stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. because these people, they are villagers and they, they come from a, a generation of Iban warriors. You know, these are people right. who are headhunters. They yeah. go around trophies of people's heads. Mm. So they were dealing with very dark stuff. And they okay. would, you know, they would ask for protection, and they believe in animatism and, and, and things that, you know, the tree is a god, a rock is a god, the river is a god, you know, that kind of stuff. And okay. so they, they they confessed that they were dabbling with it, and they said that the, the, this force that came upon them during the time of worship was something they had never experienced before. But they mm -hmm. felt very free after that, like like as if something lifted lifted from them and left them, you know. So at the same time, I mean, these people are very deep rooted in these religions that have been practiced in yes. the villages for generations and generations. That's right. Uh, and yet they were still open to Christian yes. uh, missionaries coming down yes. to preach to them. Yeah, the funny thing is that um, in, in this village, from, from what I found out from the, the, the Penghulu, as they're called, the, the chief, the village chief, he said that the practice was if the village chief were to receive the Christian faith, 
then the rest of the village will follow suit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but okay. they didn't, you know, I mean, it's just out of uh, respect that they followed the village head. Unbeknownst to them that, you know, eventually God will actually deal with them individually okay. in that sense. But yeah. was there any danger at any point of you losing your head to these uh, Iban worshippers? No, no, no. They were, they were actually really nice people. Um, they reminded okay. me of the Thai folk. You know, very friendly, mm. full of smiles, very, you know, very, very, a lot of hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. But there was one okay. very significant incident that happened on this trip. Mm. And I must share uh, if, you, if time permits. Please do. We were doing house visits from door to door, just seeing her, is everybody okay, when I chanced upon this mom and um, her 12-year-old daughter. And all this is true translation, yeah. I had a translator following me around, and, and she shared with the translator that her daughter was having nightmares practically every night. And so I asked her, and I said, hey, you know, um, what kind of nightmares, what kind of dreams she was having, and said that every night, the daughter would feel there was an oppressive being in the room, mm. strangling her, forcing her down in the bed and she can't breathe and then she'll be choking and then she'll wake up and it happened every night and for a period of time yeah and so as she was sharing this with me something really really remarkable happened um as she was as the mom was telling me the story i suddenly heard a voice on my right side and i spun around to see who spoke to me you know and um it just called me by my name leon you know i just turned and was so this no was in english yeah it was in english it was in english yeah. but there was no one standing with me on my right Right. And on my left was my translator and another pastor friend of mine who was standing with us. Yeah. So I just kept quiet. I didn't say anything. And I continued to listen to the, to the mom as she was sharing with me. And this time I heard the voice again. And the voice said, go into the bedroom, the girl's bedroom. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I heard that. How, how did you feel? How did you feel when you heard that voice? Was it scary? Was it comforting? I, I, I really actually felt at peace. There was no fear. Okay. And so I just asked permission. I said, um, you know, I said, ma'am, uh, can you allow me to come into your home to look into your daughter's room? And mom was, was more than willing. And so we stepped in. And when I went into the room, um, it was, you could literally feel a very dark presence in the room. And my hair stood on ends. I knew okay. that there was something that was not supposed to be there in that room. Because the rest of the home, was room temperature, you know, like you can feel the heat and the humidity, but this room was just particularly cold. Oh, okay. yeah. And so what happened was, as I stood there, I was just like looking around the room and the room was pretty dark. And as I was looking around the room, left to right, again, I heard that voice prompt me very gently to say, look above her bed. And so I lifted up my head and up on, up hanging on the ceiling was this uh, a contraption that looked like a fishnet. And inside it, there was stuff being held together in that net. Mm. And so I just called my translator and I says, you know, hey, can you ask the mother or yourself, can you climb up and bring that net down? Yeah. The translator told the, uh, told the mom that she was going to climb up. Uh, my translator was a lady. And so she climbed up under the bed and she went up and she brought the net down. Mm. And as she brought the net down, she opened it on the bed. She shouted out very loudly, Praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> These are all talismans that they use to ward off evil spirits. And I guess she was like probably happy that something happened, something good happened. they found something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so when I, when, when, when I actually had a closer look at the items, I saw, um, you know, like um, chicken feet that you have, you know, chicken feet soup. Mm. Okay, so chicken yep. feet, which was dried. Uh, yeah. I saw bones. Uh, I don't, I'm not, not sure. Human right. bones, I, right? I have no clue. Yeah, I saw <laughs> bones. I saw a vial filled with oil and some weird looking stuff in the small 
little bottle yeah. and feathers uh, look, look like chicken feathers to me wow and you know the okay. top of the chicken head the uh poster yeah that, mm. that, that, that reddish the reddish thingy so it's yeah. all come together and i was like whoa this is bizarre Okay. And so I asked uh, the translator, please explain to me. And she says, these talismans are actually supposed to ward off evil spirits. And I looked at the mom and says, if this was supposed to ward off evil spirits, yeah. then why is your daughter being oppressed? Okay. And you know, and you could see tears rolling down from the mother's eyes because she did not know how to explain. And so I then explained to her and told her that, uh, and she was surprised. She said, how do you know where to look? And so that's when I shared with her in greater yeah. detail that, yeah. you know, I believe in God and my God yeah. is Jesus Christ. And I believe he was the one through the Holy Spirit who was leading me to look at where I'm supposed to look. And wow. she gave me a big hug. <laughs> she just hugged. Yeah. You took the talismans away for yes. disposal. How did you dispose of them? Oh, we burnt it um, because what happened was for the next uh, few hours of the day, uh, myself and my team, we ran around to the different homes and these yeah. people came forward and they began to remove all these items from their homes one by one. Okay. And yeah. by, I think it was just after tea time, just before dinner, uh, we actually found a location within the village. We, we threw all these things into a heap, you know, and with, yeah. uh, with petrol, uh, we managed to get some petrol from the generators there. And with the yeah. village chief with us, um, we prayed a blessing and a protection over the village and we just burnt it, uh, okay. burnt everything up, yep. Did you face any resistance at all from the people? No. Um, in fact, Not at all. Very, very happy. Uh, and, and I do recall, I remember, um, I think it was a few months after that trip, I do remember receiving an, uh, a letter from the pastor from Kuching and said yeah. that the village were actually thriving in terms of their crops. Okay. They, they were getting um, good crops for that period of time. Uh, and mm. so... Uh, that was the last uh, that I heard from this village, yeah. Okay, but to your knowledge, that woman and that daughter, the one that you helped, no longer had any issues after, you know, you went and you removed uh, these items from their place? No, as far as I know, uh, everything was was, um, was okay. Uh, wow. There was no backlash, no nothing. Okay. And in fact, um, this is just one of the many stories that happened on this trip. In fact, I have other stories, but I'll probably hold it off for another day. <laughs> <laughs> what a tease. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, but back to this story, though. The voice, the disembodied voice that you heard. I think for most of us, um, for whatever reason, we've been conditioned that if you hear a disembodied voice, right, yeah. next to your ear, you pretty much freak out. In fact, even in Chinese legends uh, and things like that, they say, if you hear someone calling your name, never turn around. Yes, yes, yes. But in yes. this particular case, when you heard this voice... Mm. Uh, whispering, yeah. you didn't freak out. You yeah. were not. Yes. You were just. You were still uh, calm. I have okay. an explanation to that, actually. Yeah. About 20 years ago, I, I, I mean, I was not a Christian, and I was actually living a very horrible life, messing around with drugs and, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff that was against the law. And um, it was during a very difficult period in my life um, when my second child was born, where I actually had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, my son was pretty ill. Yeah, I mean, we look at a baby in a crib, you know, your heart just goes out to the kid. Mm. And I remember I just looked up in the ceiling and I went, no, if there's a God up there in heaven, mm. please, you know, heal my son. Yeah. And I just said it out of desperation. Mm. And um, a group of people came along and they prayed for me, uh, my wife and my, and my little boy. Unbelievable, uh, the following day, uh, he was miraculously healed from his illness. Wow. But that was not all. Um, the turning point was this. It was in the ward the next morning that I actually heard a voice call out to me and say, Leon, after all that you've done, I still love you. I spun around and looked around in the hospital ward. There was no one there. Yep. 
and it spoke to me. And instead of freaking out, I was very curious. And so I kept quiet again. And again, I heard the voice for the second time say the same thing to me. Leon, after all that you've done, I still loved you. And you don't have a history of hearing voices, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, you know. And so what happened was my emotions in my heart began to stir. I was, something was happening within me and I couldn't understand. I was feeling very remorseful and I called my mom on the phone and I told her what I was experiencing. And she was the one that told me, this is God. This is Jesus Christ talking to you. And I said, how do you know? And she says, for the last 18 years, I've been asking God, praying every day that He will touch you, He will talk to you, He will turn you around, something will happen to you, you know? Yeah. And so that was a turning point. So I know, I know that that was God. I am very, very sure because okay. after that, I began to search more and more into the faith. And yeah, my addictions to drugs and everything else just stopped. Wow, that is an amazing testimony. Yeah, so that's my story, yeah. Yeah, so this voice, I mean, to your knowledge, uh, the one you heard when you were at the hospital ward, okay, the turning point in your life, and the voice that you heard when you were in Kuching, yes. is it the same voice? Exactly the same voice. The same peaceable, loving voice, very gentle, uh, no fear. Because when, when, yeah, when I heard it, I did not jump in, in, in fear, you know? So basically, you truly believe that was the voice of God that was Yes. To you. Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. Describe the voice of God. Is it a, a woman's voice? Is it a man's voice? Man's a child's voice? voice? A, man's a man's voice. Yes, a man's okay. voice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Leon. We, hey, we totally appreciate uh, you calling us and, and, and being so open and, of course, sharing your own personal uh, testimony with us as yeah. well. Okay. Sure. And uh, obviously, we're, we're going to look forward to chatting with you again. Please do. Yeah. You need more stories. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Leon. No worries, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And there you have it, irrefutable wow. proof that God is a man. <laughs> Which is quite interesting, obviously, when you talk about, you know, hearing the voice of God, right? I, I always think, oh, it's like a... Eugene, you must, must repent. repent. You know what I mean? With like lots of echo and lots of reverb and stuff like that. But yeah, very interesting to, to know, especially when, he, you know, when he was talking about how he, he was hearing voices, you know, immediately, instinctively, when he was telling me the story, right? I thought, oh my God, it's, I don't know what kind of hantu, or I don't know what kind of spirit is, is talking to him, right? But it turns out, sometimes, maybe not all the voices, the disembodied voices you hear, are malicious, malevolent spirits. But it's, it's really hard to tell. If you watch the podcast, uh, the, the, the YouTube video with me and Syed Wilson, mm. uh, he says that a lot of uh, cases that he has seen, uh, jinn, jinn, because he's Muslim, mm. uh, they believe in jinns, pretending to be the voice of God yep. telling telling the living what to do so uh, it's very hard to discern but you know uh, Pastor Leon to hear the voice of God is not something that happens to everybody mm. and he did say in his uh, confession that his mother prayed for 18 years mm. through obviously his wayward ways and everything yep. and at just one all it took was just one moment with his child mm. right and then the voice of God happened, yeah. and it was not just like flitting. He he mm. looked around. He looked around the room, and he focused and concentrated again, and he heard a voice. Yeah, it's I mean, almost and, you as know, if it's you know directed at him. There was no if, no then, no but. I mean, kudos that he reacted in such a calm fashion. I think for many of us, myself included, if I suddenly heard a 
Hey Tim, I would freak the F out. Seriously, I would be scared AF, alright? <laughs> alright, so we do have a very elusive member of our team. His name is E.T., right? Eugene To. And we always make fun of the fact that, oh, he's the cynic, you know, because the same way Eugene believes that it must always be the Hantu, E.T. always believes that it can't be the Hantu. Not because he is very cynical, but in his own words, he will tell you it's because he takes a very scientific approach to things. And uh, the same way Eugene Eugene, when he goes out for a, an investigation, he's always looking for reasons why this must be paranormal. E.T. tries to he tries to go by process of elimination. Okay, so he would rather rule out all the uh, scientific logical reasons before he will accept that it's actually paranormal in nature. So E.T. was actually supposed to join us last week where we would read a story to him and he would kind of run through it and try and give you a scientific reason to it, okay? And remember, at the end of the day, if someone like E.T., who is usually the last person to admit that, that something is paranormal in nature, if even he says that, you know what, it could be the Hantu, then, you know, that that's a reason to take it even more seriously, okay? So, we were actually going to uh, read a story that uh, Eugene actually found and then have E.T. comment on it. Y do you have the story, bro? Yeah, uh, okay. and bro, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't find this story. This was oh. actually told to me by someone I've met uh, in person. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, but she didn't want to go on to an audio she didn't want to write. She says, I'll just tell it to you, Eugene. Uh, you can go and tell this to your audience. I'm just going to share this with you because all I want to do is to get it off my chest. And since you're a confession site, I think it's the perfect place for me to talk about this. Uh, please don't judge me. I, I don't care if you do. It, if you do. Uh, to me, it's just important that I tell someone who can maybe believe me, right? So this was the story that she told me. Uh, I recorded it, of course, but I promise not to show. So this is me writing her, her story on her behalf. Right. This is a story told to me by someone who used to work at the Institute of Mental Health. She wasn't born with a third eye, but it was open for her. She was still a very young nurse when she first started working there. And, um, oops. She was, she was still a very young nurse when she started working there and for one of the wards it was well known place that the patients there are not mentally unsound right so this is not something that's documented but if you're a nurse from the IMH ward uh, maybe you can you know verify this for us there's apparently a ward in IMH that you guys all the, the health workers know the people there are not mentally unsound they are just born with certain gifts but society don't know what to do with them, so they're placed there. That's tragic, man. All right? Uh, and so their caregivers put them in there because there's just something odd about their behavior that isn't mm. accepted by society. Yep. One of these patients was an elderly man named Jimmy. The more senior nurses told her to just go in, do what she need to do, and leave. Don't ever look him in the eye. Don't talk to him, just go. This made her even more curious, so she went in to check on him, but decided to take a pic from the corner of her eye. She saw him smiling at her, not in a creepy way, more in a kindly fashion to say thank you. So she thought it would be impolite to ignore him, so she turned to return his smile. Nurse Angie, thank you, he said. She nodded and left. After she left, she realized that it was her first week on the job and she didn't have her name tag and she did not introduce herself to him, so how could he have known? The next day, she checked on him again, and he was sitting up and reading. He smiled at her, she smiled back. 
meeting his eyes this time. It's a noble career, he said. You shouldn't doubt yourself. She looked at him confused. You took up nursing because you felt that you couldn't take care of your grandmother. But now that you did, you're beginning to doubt your decision. Don't. It was like this man could read into her mind. So she approached him and they got to talking. She learned that Uncle Jimmy could tell people's future just by looking at them. He also told her that her grandmother was still around. Her late grandmother was still around. Angie broke down crying at this point. She's been very close to her grandmother and was guilty for not being able to take care of her in the last few years of her life. The man asked if she would like to see her grandmother and Angie replied, yes. Jimmy asked Angie to come closer to him and close her eyes. She didn't know what he did, but she felt a sensation like someone was blowing into her face. That night, Angie couldn't sleep. At first, it came as a whisper, it was familiar. And then she closed her eyes and focused on the voice. And she was able to see her grandmother in the room. She could see her grandmother's mouth moving, but she couldn't hear anything. When Angie tried to get closer to the vision, the ghost of the grandmother just faded away. Now, that was just the first incident. And since then, she was able to hear voices and see spirits. This story is also posted on the Confessions Journal of our website at supernaturalconfessions.com. Wow. Okay. So before we actually bring E.T. on, what did you think when you saw this or when, when that, what, this was told to you? So what I, do, what I do when I do investigation is not so much about trying to discern the scientific side of the mm. story, but it's to look at a person's behavior, body language, pupil, uh, various ticks to tell me that he's lying mm. where he's looking up in the eyes uh, where his eyes is pointing to to see whether he's fabricating story or trying to recall the story mm. but from what I could hear from Angie and that's not even like trying to mask her name she is more relieved to be able to tell her story she mm. almost didn't care whether I believed her or not she almost didn't care uh, that whether I'm going to talk about this in public and people are going to ridicule her she wasn't even interested in that she just wanted to be able to share this burden this with, with her to someone who believed because she said I worked at IMH before can you imagine if I tell someone any of my colleagues what I felt what do you think of me what yeah. any of my professors my peers would think of me if I tell them that I believe in ghosts and I can see yeah. ghosts so she can't and that's a burden for her for many yeah. years yeah so okay. when, you look at, when you look at that then you got to ask yourself like mm. what is it in for her that to, 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 to what is fame for money there's nothing and if there's nothing of that sort and she's she looks extremely disturbed with this mm. memory i got to give it some level of uh you know credit uh, credit here mm. all right so we have heard the story as narrated by eugene managed to get et on the phone et what did you think okay um what's interesting was um i mean fast forward all the way to almost the end of the story mm. where she described how she felt her grandmother Mm. That's very interesting because over the years of research uh, and interviews, uh, we actually had um, people who sort of see or, or, or experience something like what she did. And what was uh, very interesting, they all had this common thing where they see the person, 
mm. and that person can't speak. Okay. And and why I think that is uh, there's some truth to that to a certain extent mm. was I I had a similar experience as well many many years back, uh, sometime in 2002. Mm. Um, this was uh, just after my dad's passing. I actually fell asleep. Yeah. I had sort of a dream. I saw my father looking at me, mm. and it was exactly the same. He opened his mouth, but no voice. There was no voice from him. Yeah. Okay. So, do you believe that there is some form of a paranormal factor involved, or do you think maybe the reason? Oh well, you know, I I just went to a funeral, or I was just talking about my my father or my relative, and so you know, power of suggestion is no surprise. If I'm going to sleep, I'm going to end up having a dream around this person. Well, in paranormal research, uh, or at least what what I believe that when a person passes on, the soul leaves uh, the physical body. So, which is in line with what uh, that nurse actually experienced because now that that person, her, her late grandma that she saw was probably the soul and it's void of the physical body and the voice box. Mm. So, which is why there's no voice. Uh, people who have experienced out-of-body experience, okay, well, out-of-body experience basically is where your soul misaligns your body. Many actually reported that when their soul leaves their body, they, they have this feeling that they want to scream, but no voice comes out. Hmm. So it, it's, I mean, everything seems in line la, with, with uh, paranormal research that we have done. So okay. I would think what she saw was pretty real because uh, there's quite a number of uh, people similar reports that, yes yeah. yes there's similar reports so so I would say there's some truth to a certain extent to what she's said uh, well let's go back to the beginning of the story yeah. okay about this uh, Uncle Jimmy who can apparently read someone's future or know a lot about their lives just by looking at them do you think this is a case where he really had a special power or maybe through powers of deduction he can come to his own conclusions or for all you know, in a hospital or a home where he's uh, kind of cooped up in, people talk. And that's how he finds out information about each of the different nurses. Uh, basically, I, I believe that in the world, there are people who are somewhat talented, um, that they're able to, to foresee someone's future because I do have friends who was never born to be a fortune teller. Mm. Uh, she was uh, a normal business lady, really dynamic. Then all of a sudden, she suddenly found herself with an ability to be able to read people's fortune. Okay. And because she's a Ang Mao Pai like me, like that, mm. but she was, you no, know, out of the blue, she suddenly can read uh, your Ba Zi and, and I Ching, all these kind of things. So mm. I think some people do have the ability. So so that patient over there, I don't think he's uh, mentally unsound. Mm. Um, that, that, there's two ways how people view this. One is the person has the ability. The other is they have some sort of a, some spiritual acquaintance with either a spirit or, or, or something like that, that that advises them on, on future and to read fortune and stuff like that. Mm. The funny thing about it is I seem to be more skeptical than you do <laughs> just by running through the story because immediately I start thinking about those uh, TV shows where it's all like a big scam. They call it cold yeah. reading. They, you know, blurt out a couple of sentences and then they, they kind of watch how the person reacts and then that can kind of give them an inkling in which direction to go to, right? And they seem like, oh yeah, um, this person is, is so accurate when it comes to reading my life. But mm -hmm. in this particular case, you think this guy actually had uh, a talent of reading someone's future and, and learning about someone's life just by looking at them. 
I mean, I, I would think so because you know, usually in our past chats and everything, I'm always the guy. Ah, no, it's probably something else and stuff like that. But when I read the story. Uh, the, the facts that were stated inside and the accuracy of certain things hmm. just cannot get past me and you know it, it really seems that, that that this person really is really saying the truth that, that that's one hmm. and, and the accuracy of it really really struck me that you know this is probably something that that really happened and what she, she really believed in and, and I think what she experienced was probably real so hmm. I think that guy has got some kind of ability yeah um, but by him just breathing at her and she having the ability sounds interesting because there's not can you pass on a skill just by breathing on somebody okay now firstly you wouldn't want to do it now the current situation <laughs> yeah everyone needs to be masked up exactly uh, but you see like for example I've read books on how the Dalai Lama actually activates the third eye they actually use a silver prod and they, they hit behind the pituitary gland of, of the, where the head is mm. and that kind of invokes his third eye I've heard of multiple uh, stories of uh, opening the third eye, but this is the first time where I hear someone just breathe onto someone and she gets it. So, so that was the, probably the only part that I found a bit not really right there. Like that, that's probably the only thing. And back to the whole, you know, this person knowing so much about the different nurses and all that, right? Initially, I thought, okay, well, maybe he's got someone on the inside who's feeding him this information because I'm sure that HR files, that personal information that's recorded somewhere. If you knew someone who had access to all this information, he could always relay it back to this guy, making him look like uh, the, the all-seeing, right? But at the same time, the more I think about it, motive is always yeah. a big consideration. I don't know what this guy living at IMH, I don't know what kind of motive he would have to actually try and, and convince people that he could read their futures or know about their lives. What benefit would that actually get him? See, what's interesting is although he can read the dockets everything, but I don't think within the dockets they will write certain things that's so intimate to her for example you know her grandma the reason why she took up nursing I, I don't think he will go into so detail to go research about someone's life until like that lah. especially mm. if you're in IMH I think things are very restricted yeah. I don't think that that dockets will be around lying around just, just to let you see it and it's interesting because when the nurses warn her about what he can do mm. also goes to show that his accuracy is really very, very accurate. Yeah. So I I don't think he goes around reading people's dockets. It really does mm. sound that he has a certain ability to be able to to read their, their fortune or, or to tell something intimate about their life. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I just finished binge-watching Sherlock Holmes, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he can, like, notice every little detail on your clothes, how you walk, and come up with all these conclusions about uh, what you do for a living and your back history as well. Now, back to this story, though. The warning always was don't look him mm. in the eye. Is that usually yeah. how someone with the ability draws the information from you by looking you in the eye? Uh, okay, if you actually study body language uh, mm. and it's what people always say, the eyes are the windows to the soul, there's a certain truth to it because when you look someone in the eye, you are able to tell more or less whether the person's lying, mm. how the person is feeling, etc. But yeah. that's only on a very shallow basis. But to go into such depths into knowing exactly her motivation to be a nurse, uh, that's a bit interesting. Lah. Okay. So now that we've run through this entire story, on the ET scale of believability, how believable is this story? Mm, 
on the scale of 10, 10 being very believable, I yep. think I would rate it uh, 7.5. Wow. Which is high for my standard. Huh? Exactly. I was going to say, that is, <laughs> that's actually uh, scoring a distinction in the eyes of ET. Usually, <laughs> you're lucky if he gives you a 2, right? Which is exactly my point. Because mm. of the many stories that we went through, I'm not playing down anybody, but just by because of... Uh, experience I've had with paranormal research uh, there are some which I really do believe and some really it just comes across as the typical channel I mean I would have hate mail and stuff like that but I'm just speaking from the bottom of my heart yeah. hey if you weren't that way we'd have no need for you on the show we need someone who brings to the table you know that particular perspective okay so just keep doing what you do okay ET <laughs> sure sure definitely alright so thank you very much for your time and we hope to catch you on the next episode okay sure definitely bro cheers and that is our friend E.T. so you heard us mention E.T. a couple of times so that Mm. is how he looks like and that is how he sounds like yeah and amazing right I mean as much as we give him grief and as much as his record is always you know oh no it can't be the Hantu this was a a rare rare occasion where E.T. was actually more of a believer than a cynic when it came to the story, yeah. And and once again, that's why I say that it makes it even more powerful because usually he is the last person who will, you know, just throw out uh, an acceptance like that, that this really could be uh, paranormal in nature. That was uh, that was the first thing I noticed when he was uh, giving us his, uh, his debrief. And the second thing I noticed, not once did he use EMF or she was tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a change. Yeah, yeah, because usually that is his answer to everything. There must be electrical magnetic fluctuations, or they were just tired last, so they were imagining things. So for those of you who are listening in, and you feel that perhaps you might have a gift, but you can't talk to anybody at all, well, this is a channel for you to talk to somebody. Uh, well, our address is all below. You can see it on the, the bottom of the, our faces. Uh, if you want to listen to our Spotify, you can go to pod, uh, I mean, you want to listen to our podcast, you can go check us out on Spotify, Apple, or Google. Um, just type in Supernatural Confessions. We'll be right on top of the list. Also, mm. if you have a story to share, like uh, if you've heard the stories tonight and you feel that, hey, you have something that you want to get off your chest as well. Uh, you've heard something tonight that triggered something, some memories in you and you want to share with us as well www.supernaturalconfessions.com is the place to go it is right at the top of the screen you don't have to scroll very far there's a little form there for you to send us a message now before we switch off the mic since last week we were talking about um, haunted hospitals so we're going to end the show tonight with something called the hospital wristband story Mm. in Korean hospitals when a patient is first admitted a white wristband is placed on their left arm Now, these wristbands contain the patient's name and other details. And when the patient dies, a red wristband is placed on their right arm and they're taken to the morgue. Now, in one hospital in Korea, there was a young doctor who was working the night shift. Now, it was around 2 a.m. and the hospital was very, very quiet. Most patients were asleep. When he finished his last operation, he was damn shack. He was on the fifth floor and he got into the elevator. And there was only one person in the elevator because the hospital is not crowded anymore. The, ca- the doctor casually chatted with this woman while they were in the lift. But then suddenly the elevator stopped at the basement and the door opened. Standing outside was an old man dressed in a white gown 
and he was just standing there. Now the old man was just about to walk in to the lift when the doctor suddenly slammed the close button and he punched the button for the fifth floor. Now the woman was very shocked, the one that was in there. And she looked at him and said, why did you do that? And the doctor, he just, he sighed and he, he caught his breath and he looked at her and he said, you know, I've been a doctor for a very long time. I've seen a lot of people die and I've been at this hospital for a while. And according to the rules, when a patient dies, they get a red wristband placed on their arm. And he looked at the woman. You saw it, right? That old man had a red wristband on his arm. Now the woman was silent. She said, a red wristband? And then she raised her right hand and she said, like this? Thank you for tuning in to Supernatural Confessions. My name is Tim O. And I'm Eugene Tay. And we'll catch you next week right here on Supernatural Confessions. Supernatural. Supernatural.